Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Are you good? We are continuing our series called God, Money and Me. We started it last week and we are continuing it today, God, Money and Me. And the reason I feel to share it is probably twofold. One, because Jesus spoke about money and our relationship with money more than any other subject. Jesus spoke more about our relationship with money than heaven and hell combined. He spoke more about the subject of money than faith. He spoke more about the money of, uh, subject of money than prayer because it's really, really important we understand how to manage the relationship with money and how it is spent. Yeah? And so I don't apologise for speaking about this subject. I do want you to know that it's not an easy subject to speak on uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because people can tend to be cynical about this subject at any time, least of all when it's to do with the church and money. There is a notion out there that uh, the church only want your money. That is simply not true. We do want to speak about it as Jesus did to help us know how to manage our finance and manage our uh, money and manage the spending thereof. The other reason I failed to share about it at this point in time is because we are coming up to uh, the Christmas season, which is otherwise known as the silly season. And what we don't want to do is make the silly season even sillier by being silly with our money over this time. We are coming into a season where everything on the television and the radio and in the magazines and on social media are going to be demanding your money. And they will not be after your fellowship. They will not be praying for you. They will not be caring for you. Most stores will not even give you a smile. They just want your money. But as a church, we love you. We want the best for you. We don't want you to get into financial bondage over this time. We don't want you to get in trouble financially over this time. And so we would rather speak about this particular subject early on before too much damage is done as part of our care for you as a church. Amen. And so that's why we want to share about it this particular time. Uh, Last week, we looked at a a few things about money. Number one was that nothing indicates more accurately what is important to you than the way we spend our money. Secondly, that money vies to replace God in our lives. And thirdly, that money is the ultimate test of our faith in God. And then we began to look at some of the laws of financial health found in the simple parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And the first law we looked at was the law of ownership, which says everything uh, I have belongs to God. The second law is the law of entrustment that says that God has invested in me and I am to steward His investment And the third law was the law of accountability that says one day God will audit me with a view of increasing me. And we spoke about all of those things in detail last week. And I would encourage you to get onto our podcast and or website and you can download that message and listen to it again and again and hopefully it will help you. We want to continue with law number four. Law number four of finding financial health is the law of utilisation. Everyone say utilisation. Utilisation says that God expects me to use what He's given me 
so that he may receive a return. Reading from Matthew 25, verse 24, it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. This is a parable that many people have read over many years And when you've read something over a period of time, we can lose the significance of what is being said. But when you look at the master's response, it's quite a paradox to how most people think a loving master should respond. Because the master in this story represents God and most of us understand to be God, to be a God of love. And yet he uses the word wicked. And when we think of wicked people or someone doing a wicked act, we usually think of some heinous crime such as murder or rape or something that is just so mind-blowingly wicked that it's just repulsive to us. And yet we don't read this man doing anything like that. We just read of a man who buried something that God gave him and gave it back to him. And the master calls him wicked. The point that I believe that this parable is trying to make is that when we don't use what God has given to us, He considers that a wicked act. This is something to be taken very seriously. That God views what we don't do for His glory with what we've been given as something that is wicked. And He goes on to say that He was lazy, wicked and lazy. It's wicked to be unfruitful with the time, the talent and the treasures God has given us. You can't please God by doing nothing. God, I believe would rather us try something and fail than succeed at doing nothing. And I I think that's true. Every father in this place knows that to be true. We we would rather our kids have a go. I I grew up with an age old Aussie saying, uh, which I, I still love saying, particularly at cricket time. Because when you're watching the cricket and you see some guy batting there, but he's not getting out, but he's not getting any runs, it just makes for a really boring game. And intrinsically, you know that he's getting in the way of someone else coming in who could actually make some runs. And so you'd rather them, you know, have a go and get out than just sit there and block. Or let it go through the keeper, let it go through the keeper and let it go through the keeper and we'll duck under this one and we'll let this one go through the keeper and we'll just pad that one and, and... And every bit of me starts wanting to shout, have a go, you mug. How many grew up with that saying? And I feel God, with all the love He can muster, saying, have a go, you mug. Have a go. Yeah, you might fail, but it's better to fail and try than to succeed at doing nothing. God is keen to see us have a go and attempt great things for Him. 
And because this man did not attempt something great, but just hid his treasure, he was severely rebuked. I believe the problem with this man is something that becomes problematic for most of us, and that's in the area of his thinking. I think this man in the story that was given one bag of gold or one talent was guilty of what I call stinking thinking. His thinking was all wrong. And I think sometimes we're guilty of the very same thoughts that he was having, and that is this, I don't have much. And because I don't have much, I can't give much. And so because I can't give much, it's not gonna have much effect. So I may as well not give anything at all. I mean, let's just be fair to this man and ask ourselves this, how many of us have been guilty of that? Because we don't have as much as the guy with two bags of gold or as much as the man with five bags of gold, what what difference can my little bit make? And so where I believe he's gone wrong is in the area of his thinking based upon comparing himself to others. So his stinking thinking leads to the curse of comparison. I don't have as much as somebody else. And because I don't have as much as somebody else, I'm not as good as somebody else. And so I can't help as much as somebody else. And so what's the point of even trying? Is this resonating with anyone you know? I know it's not you, but do you know someone like this? Don't look at the person next to you right now. Uh, Maybe you're not guilty of this, but maybe you know somebody who's been guilty of this. And so we've got stinking thinking that leads to the curse of comparison, which leads to him playing the blame game. See, right from the very outset of this story, he's already grumpy. He starts off grumpy. He's not happy. The master comes back. You'd think that would be a happy day. He's come back. You think being given one bag of gold would make you happy. I mean, if I gave everyone a bag of gold, I think you'd say, this is a great church. And I love that pastor. I mean, this is not a stingy master. It's a bag of gold. It's something of great value. And yet he's grumpy. And he blames his master. He said, oh, oh, I knew you were a hard man. Really? The guy that just gave you a bag of gold? Hard? P.S. you don't hear the other two saying that. Just this grumpy one. They didn't do anything. Just grumpy old man. And he starts blaming his master and then making excuses. You're not any hard, you expect too much of me. He's already got his excuse at the ready. Do you know how many excuses... I've heard. It never ceases to amaze me when I, when I hear some of these great excuses. And, and I think there's some teachers out there that could uh, verify this when it comes to why kids didn't do their homework. So I think the teachers can uh, identify with this little moment. I, I think some of the excuses people give or we give are so creative and so amazing and require so much thought that if we could channel that energy and that thought and that creativity, we could make a lot of money. Have you ever thought of that, teachers? Parents, have you ever thought, man, if you could just channel that energy and channel that creativity, you could be very, 
very wealthy. But we use these excuses to hold us in a place and we miss what God has for us. Another thing I've noticed about people that make excuses based upon the fact that they play it safe is that there's no spark in their eye. I've already made a mention that this man seems grumpy from the outset. He hasn't got a spark in his eye. He hasn't got a smile on his face. There's no spring in his step. All he's got is his excuses. All he's got is his blame of his master. See, what he was lacking is purpose. See, purpose is what brings the spark. You can have the most mundane job. But if you can attach purpose to it, you can have a spark in your eye. You may not be doing your dream job right now, but right now the money that you are earning in this mundane job is putting food on your table and it's providing for your family, which means there is purpose and that should be a reason to get up and to work again. And if you need to get a better job, then you need to further educate yourself or whatever. Don't stop doing that. But in the meantime, don't complain where you're presently at. See, attach purpose to your present moment. I, like many, have had moments where you feel like giving up. I think every person in this room has felt like giving up on something or someone at some time. And I'm no exception. But one of the things that keeps me going is knowing that people's lives will be affected. And so I I can't just make a decision based upon how I feel because there are other people that are watching me and there are other people that that are, are, are wanting to take my lead. And so that brings a purpose to why I do what I do. And as a result, you put up with what you need to put up with. And we do it with a sparkle in our eye and a spring in our step and a smile on our face. And we're here again. After 21 and a half years, we're here again. What's the point of that? Ah, because people matter. There's something bigger at stake than just how I feel. And there's something bigger at stake than just how you feel. We've got to attach purpose and meaning to our lives. Maybe your job is just putting food on your plate and it's putting food on your family's plate. Maybe that money is sponsoring a child overseas. That's enough purpose to say, I'm going to do it again. Yeah, yeah. And so what we see is law number four is the law of utilisation, which simply says, God expects me to use what He's given me so that He may receive a return. Which brings me to law number five, and that is the law of faith. Everyone say faith. Faith. Which says faith in God rather than fear of outcomes is essential to success. In Matthew 25, verse 25, as we've already read, The man with one bag of gold said, I was afraid and so I went out and hid your gold. It was fear that caused him to hide what God had given him. Again, if we can just extend grace to the man in this story, how many of us have hid what God has given us because of fear? It brings perspective. It's so easy to read this story and say, that wicked man, I'm nothing like him. I think when we look at the story, we find we're more like the man with one bag of gold than we think. It was fear that stopped him 
putting the talent to work. It was fear that caused Adam and Eve to hide from God in the garden of Eden when they sinned. Prior to that, they were just loud and proud about their relationship with God. They would get up in the morning and walk with Him in the morning. They would walk with Him in the evening. But after they sinned, oh, they were afraid. And what did they do? They hid. People always hide when they're afraid. Look at Gideon. Gideon was afraid. And what did he do? He hid away. And when we are led by our fear, we will always hide what God has given us. And that's why we need the law of faith in operation in our lives. This man, no doubt, was thinking, um, what if it doesn't work? And this is especially true when it comes to finances. One of the biggest reasons why people don't tithe to a local church is because of fear. I don't even think it's because we're selfish. I think it's just because we're afraid. Because will I have enough for me? And what if I don't have enough? And what if this doesn't work? And it's for that reason, I believe, that God gives us promises to encourage us to help us overcome our fear. See, God knows that we're afraid and that's why He puts hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Word of God to encourage us to overcome our fear. And every parent in this room knows what that's like. You may have little Johnny who's got to do a recital and you can't do it for him, but you do everything you can to encourage him with some promises in order to overcome his fear. And you might say, Johnny, you know what? I want you to know when you're up there, I'm going to be on the front row cheering you on. It's a promise to help him overcome his fear. And God puts in His Word promises, particularly when it comes to finances, to help us overcome our fear. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food for my house. He says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not do something for you. What is that that He wants to do for us? He wants to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Who wants that? It's a promise to encourage us to overcome our fear. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. In Luke chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Give and it will be given unto you. In what measure? I'm glad you asked. In good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Proverbs 11 verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There are promise after promise in the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to our finances in order for us to overcome our fear that we might operate in faith. Can I just say this? That I am not saying that we give to get more. That is not my heart and that is not the heart of Scripture. Give to get. But the promise is there nonetheless. But the promise is not our motivation for giving. Our motivation should be out of a gratitude 
for what He has already done for us. In Romans 12, it says, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves. In other words, in light of what He's already done, we offer ourselves. In light of what He's already done, we give of ourselves. In light of the monies that we have already been given, we give something back to God. Our motivation should never be to get. But God does promise that we will receive in order to help us overcome our fear and turn it into faith. Amen. In uh, Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, we need to understand that nothing pleases God more than we believe His Word. And this is true for all of us. The highest affirmation you can give to one another is to believe their Word. It shows trust and it brings mutual affection. Moggy said to me, I'll see you Sunday. And you know what? When he said, I'll see you Sunday, I believed him. I believed him. See, it wasn't about having faith in Moggy. It's the fact that I know Moggy well enough to be able to trust him. And so it's easy to put my faith in him. See, when it comes to God, it's not about getting more faith in God. We have people trying to muster, I need need more faith, I need more faith. And we get more intense and more serious as we try to get more faith. And that's not how it's ever gonna come. More faith comes out of more knowing who God is. And when you know who God is, you know He can be trusted. And when He can be trusted, you can trust what He says. And so we put our faith in Him based upon the integrity of His Word. See, faith is simply us putting trust in the integrity of God's Word. And that's why God's Word comes under such attack. See, way back in the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve stood under that tree and the serpent said to them, did God really say? What was he trying to do? He was trying to erode the integrity of God's Word. How different life would be if Adam just said, yeah, God did say that. And that settles it. But we start to entertain and doubt what God said. We need to have faith that God means what He says and says what He means. And I have story after story and unfortunately I don't have time to go into all the stories. But I trust that you have many stories yourself of where God has proven Himself faithful in the area of your finance. And that's what we need to hold on to. Because God will prove Himself faithful. Do you know, we went away just this week and spent some time with senior leaders from different parts of the world. And Paul Dion was there leading it, and there were others. And Paul said, and others agreed, that speaking on finances is probably the toughest subject to ever speak on for a pastor. Not just because of people being, you know, cynical when it comes to money in the church, but because of the demonic attack 
See, the devil does not want you to get freedom in this particular area. Because if, he gets free, if we get free in this area, we can get free in every area. And so this is not a money grab. This is an opportunity for us to sit under the teaching of the Word of God and be set free in one of the areas that holds us bound the most. And the devil knows that. And so I always tell our team, when we're leading up to me speaking on this subject, be sensitive, be praying. Because it's a sensitive subject that needs to be shared well, not just for people, but there is a spiritual opposition that seeks to want us to be blinded to the truth of what I'm sharing today. And we need faith to apply it. Did God really say? Law number six, the law of application. Everyone say application. application. Which simply says, use it or lose it. Matthew 25 verse 28 says, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given even more will be given in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. We need to understand that this is a universal law at play here. This is, this is not just a biblical principle. This is a universal law. It's not Old Testament. It's not New Testament. It's a universal law. And it's true right across the board not just our finances. It's true when it comes to our muscles. If you don't use your muscles, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose your muscles. If you don't use them through hard work and exercise, you're going to lose muscle definition and muscle tone. Would that be fair to say? Don't get too religious on me. Come on. You know it's true. Some of you were convicted about money. Now you're convicted about health. Sorry about that. Um, but it's true in every area. It's true of our skill. We are blessed every week by the skill of our musicians, but they practice long and hard. And as they stop practicing, the skill diminishes. Because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah? It's true for the air of our mind. If you don't use your mind, you'll Lose your mind. It's interesting to me that one of the biggest illnesses today is mental illness. And I know there's things that we can do to use our mind. And some people love crosswords. Some love doing puzzles or Sudoku or, or all those sorts of things. Just to keep our mind sharp. Because if you don't use your mind, you're going to lose your mind. You're not going to be as sharp. One thing I love about the nature of this role that I have, it's always keeping my mind sharp because there's always things to think about and always things to action. What we don't use, you'll lose. And God has the right to take away anything we don't use for His glory. You may think that that sounds harsh, but just think about it for a moment. If you had a share portfolio that wasn't performing, do you not have the right to take it out of something that's performing poorly and to put it in something that's performing better? That would be called a wise steward. And so it is with God. Why why would he leave something with somebody that they're not using well? Why wouldn't he give it to someone who's actually using it really well? It makes good sense. There is a misnomer, I believe, that says if I had more money, then I would give more. 
Um, I know it sounds good and it looks good on paper. The trouble is giving is not about what's on paper, it's about what's in your heart. And if you won't give 10% of $100, which is only $10, you're not going to give 10% of a million dollars, which is $100,000. If you can't give $10 now, I don't think you'd give $100,000. This is not about what's on paper. This is about what's in our heart. The promise is that if we are faithful now, then he will give us more. The question is, what do you need more of? What do you need more of? He needs more muscles. Then I'd say this, use the muscles you have. Who could do with some more energy? He said, oh, I wish I had more energy. Then I would say, use the energy you have. You know, for me, I've learned my, my, my body rhythms and, and I, I've learned based upon the time that I get up, which is about 5.30 every morning, um, I know for me, around 4 o'clock is my downtime. You know, if I have a meeting 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, it's not going to go well for whoever's in my office. I'll be just doing everything I can just to stay awake. And, and so what I've learned is I can either have a sleep or go to the gym, which seems ridiculous to think. What do you mean, sleep or gym? They're, like, they're polar opposites. You're tired, now you want to go to the gym. But the, here's the point. The reason I feel tired is because I'm lacking energy. But what I've learned about myself over a long period of time is that if I use the bit of energy that I have, I can push through that tired period, do a workout and come out the back of my workout with more energy and feeling better for having done the workout. It doesn't make sense, but that's where faith comes in. It doesn't make sense to think that I can have more with less when I put it in God's hands than if I keep 100% in my hands. But that's the law of faith. It doesn't always make sense to the natural mind. But if you want more energy, I would say expend more energy. I've proven that over and over and over again. There's a time I just thought, I just could go to bed and I just put my gym gear on. Because sometimes the hardest thing about going to the gym is just putting the shoes on. You just got to make that decision and you just start. And by the time you finish, you've got this energy that you never thought you had. It's a universal Lord, is there anyone out there who's as crazy as me that can testify that that is true? Same with time. Want more time? You've got to use the time you have more effectively. No one gets more time, but you've got to use the time you have more effectively. Who wants more time? Well, you're not going to get eight days a week. But we can have more time. It never ceases to amaze me that those that are busiest seem to have the most time. Dad used to say this, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. And what he meant is that those that are busy have their time ordered in such a way that they have margin to be able to do other things. So if you want more time, have more time. If the team can come up, that'd be great. If you have, want more talent, use the talent that you have. So if you want to get better at your guitar, you've got to play the guitar more. And when it comes to finance, if you want more money, then you've got to use the money that you have well. And that's what this series is about, putting first things first when it comes to our finance, which brings me to my last law, and that's law number seven, the law of reward. Everyone say reward. Reward, reward says, God will reward me for good management. In Matthew 25, verse 21, his master replied, well done, 
good faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Remember last week I shared this, and I'm going to close with it this morning, that money is the greatest test of our faith. If God can get our wallets, if we can surrender the love of finance and the grip of finance, great things can happen. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? This is the same man who said you cannot serve both God and money. Never ceases to amaze me that God did not say, or Jesus himself did not say God and family. He did not say God and children. And there's an incredible bond between parent and child. But Jesus said, even as incredible as that bond is, there's a greater bond. And it's one of finance. And if we can learn to make finance our servant and not our master, it will go well for us. This series is about us making finance our servant and no longer our master. My desire for us is that we'd not only make it to heaven, but that we'd make it to heaven rich. We'd make it to heaven blessed. We'd make it to heaven with a glint in our eye, a smile on our face, a spring in our step, that we wouldn't make it grumpy. But on that great and glorious day when we see Jesus return, we're oh Jesus, let me tell you some of the things that happened to what you gave me. That's how I want to live. Not with regret. Not cynical. Not bitter. Oh, there's too many bitter, cynical Christians out there. And they're not doing themselves or anybody else any favours. Nothing worse than a miserable, cynical Christian that wants to talk badly about church or church leadership or someone in the church. Or... So you've got to come along tonight. We're going to touch on some of that. We're going to be people who stay free. Not just get free, but can stay free. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 